0: Today's today's passage is uh, one that I've often thought about, but um, when Simon said about speaking today, I felt like I couldn't really wriggle out of it because it's definitely something that God put on my heart at New Year. Um, it very much follows on from what John said last week, and I think uh, probably a few of his points I might sort of touch on a little bit again. So i i like to think that that's God highlighting something to us as a church. Um, so if you want to find the passage, it's John chapter 12, verse 1 to 11. Uh, This is very different from classroom teaching. I don't normally script my lessons, so um, we'll have to see how we go. All right. um, So this is John chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 11. So we read it together, it's not that long. So it says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found that Jesus was there and came not only because of him. But also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So, this story pivots on Mary's wholehearted outpouring of worship of Jesus and Jesus' response. And I feel like the line that God would um, highlight for us today is in verse 3, which says, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Just pause for a minute as we start. And imagine a sweet fragrance that fills this whole place. Mary's perfume filled the whole house. The fragrance of her worship could be smelt in every room. The fragrance of your worship fills this place. It was an amazing time of worship, wasn't it? It just felt like it, it sensed that sense of God's fragrance. And if nothing else today, I want to encourage you that your worship of Jesus thrills and delights him. In fact, nothing pleases him more than when you pour out your heart to him and when you're moved to give him everything and hold nothing back. So let's keep coming back to that phrase. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let's consider Mary first. We know the story, it's really familiar to us. Uh, Mary poured out expensive perfume called Nard. It was an imported oil and a costly aromatic ointment as her act of worship to Jesus. She then let down her hair, a sign of great abandon and vulnerability in order to wipe Jesus' feet. She did this in front of others, at a dinner party no less. Mary's heart was centred on Jesus alone. She was wholehearted in her worship. The perfume was worth perhaps a year's wages and seemed to demonstrate how freely she gave to Jesus, how she held nothing back in her love for him. This really was extravagant. This perfume was possibly her dowry and therefore her security for the future. And yet here she gave it all. Mary's example is so provocative. When did I last pour out everything to Jesus? When did you? Would we give up something quite so costly? Now this isn't the first time that we've met Martha, I'm sorry, Mary in the Gospels. This is Mary of Mary and Martha fame. And and we know from that account that Mary was a worshipper. She loved to sit at the feet of Jesus. Mary had a heart devoted to Jesus. And the day Jesus came to her home, he captured her heart. As he spoke, she was drawn to him. And when God came to her home, she drew near. Mary listened, contemplated, and soaked up his words. And in the chapter just before that John spoke about last week, we see again Mary, um, and we read the account of the death and the resurrection of Lazarus, who was Mary's brother. Knowing Lazarus was ill, Mary and Martha had sent for Jesus. But when he came, Mary remained at home. And it was her sister that went out to meet him. It's hard to know why. But perhaps this tender-hearted Mary was also prone to despair, swamped with sorrow, paralysed with the sort of questions that John talked about last week. Why, Lord? If you'd been there, my brother would not have died. That's Martha with the question, but I wonder why Mary stayed at home. The grief Mary felt is so palpable when you read the account. And Mary's response is just like ours, isn't it? Real and unfiltered. I love these accounts because we get a glimpse of not just the humanity of Mary, but the humanity of Jesus too. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Several times we see how close they were to Jesus and how close he was to them. He was moved by Mary's emotion and her grief and himself describes him as being moved in spirit and troubled. He wept for his friend Lazarus and several times we see how close they were to Jesus and he to them um sorry he lost my place he wept for his G- friend uh, Lazarus and the sorrow of his friends Mary and Martha and without a doubt all three siblings were close to Jesus that's men and women Do you know there's no gender barrier between you and God? Both are called to be friends with God. Jesus knows your emotional side, men and women. Simon's the first to cry through, call the midwife. All right? (laughs) 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 That's how he's created us, to be emotional beings. And he's moved when you experience pain or sorrow, joy or delight. Uh, Jesus' empathy is second to none and he's moved in his spirit. In our awe and our worship, we're reminded he's not just fully God, but he's fully human. Jesus is God squeezed into a human frame. And here Jesus was moved by Mary's tears, and he himself wept at the loss of his friend. This is the comfort of great friends, to weep together when life throws us a cruel cruel blow, and we want to ask, why, Lord? but to be close to Jesus, as only one thing is needed, to know God. Now Mary's devotion moves and impresses me, and it's caused me to wonder what devotion might look like. Devotion could take so many different forms. Devotion, like Mary, maybe costs, maybe costs everything we have. And I think it it would be strange not to think about what's happened this week. We've seen such incredibly moving and heartbreaking scenes of devotion as we watch the horror in Ukraine. It's hard to escape it, day and night, it's been on our minds, certainly that's true in our house, and I'm sure for all of you. It's been really powerful, hasn't it, to see Ukrainians take up arms to defend their nation, or to flee their homes to protect their children. The courage of Zelensky, his government, the Ukrainian civilians, is perhaps the closest comparison I could make at this time of what utter devotion looks like. Devotion to their country, to freedom and liberty, to independence, to justice. The BBC News website included a quote from a Ukrainian uh, citizen this week called Alexandra Markovich. She fled with her 11-year-old son, the same age as Joseph, and uh, she fled from um, Kharkiv this last Sunday as Russian shells fell on her city. And the quote said this, I've never felt so much love my homeland. It's such a different situation isn't it to our account of Mary and her worship but perhaps, perhaps it illustrates the passion and the love and the total surrender that comes with complete devotion. Mary gives everything as she pours out her most costly perfume. She surrendered it all to Jesus. I think devotion inspires, the Ukrainian situation inspires us but I wonder are we quick to dismiss an outpouring of devotion to Jesus as perhaps a bit over the top? Mary's story provokes me in this way. Let's consider Martha. When I think about the story of Mary and Martha, it's Martha I relate to more readily. Did you notice her today? In today's account she was there She was mentioned in passing. In verse 2 it said, Martha served. We've seen this before when Jesus came to her home. In Luke's account we read that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. We read that Jesus rebuked her, gently and lovingly perhaps, but he does speak directly and seems to diagnose Martha's heart. He says, you are worried and upset about many things But few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better. Whilst Mary sat at her Lord's feet, Martha busied herself. But she was worried, agitated, irritated. We sense her frustration, I think, with Mary and maybe a bit of sisterly rivalry. I don't know about you, but I imagine Martha to be the older sister. She carried the responsibility of her family. Here we see her extend and offer her hospitality. For 13 guests, that was no mean feat to entertain. I think she probably had reason to feel a bit harassed and maybe, I don't know, must have been frustrated, I think, to interrupt Jesus to complain about Mary. And to be honest, I can relate to her a bit more. Life is busy isn't it? It's busy juggling work and family life and church commitments and keeping up with people and looking out for others. It's good to be busy, don't get me wrong, but it feels pressured sometimes. I know I don't often sit down in my day, um, the the day off I have from work and always rushing to get things done before the boys get home from school. I'm, I'm sure loads of people can relate to that. I think Martha and I would have got on and Jesus' rebuke here is quite hard to take doesn't he know that there's stuff to do? I mean, are we supposed to just sit around with jars of perfume handy? I wonder whether you're in danger of a Martha-style overload sometimes. According to the American business magazine Forbes, burnout is on the rise. Over half the people surveyed in 2021 experienced burnout in 2021, up apparently 43% from those who responded pre-COVID. We don't have to look very far, do we, to see people suffering from work-related stress or anxiety or burnout. I work with older teenagers and daily see the anxiety many of them suffer. I think most of my job is about reassuring them that it's okay if they make a mistake, uh, if they write a lousy essay and uh, before they crack how to write a good one. It's part of the process. We'd expect that of learning and growing. But are we as adults very different to that? Do you think you must never make a mistake? I think I do. (laughs) Do you make yourself indispensable or take on too much? We can get ourselves in such a pickle, can't we, when we serve and when we busy ourselves, but we take our eyes off Jesus. And when we get distracted, we get easily discouraged. We get tired and grumpy and overwhelmed. We grow self-righteous and perhaps allow bitterness to creep in. Doesn't he know how hard we're working to keep these plates spinning? Jesus does know. But perhaps you need to ask him if you're supposed to be spinning so many plates. But life is busy. It is, is, isn't it? Stress does come. But how are we doing in stilling ourselves to be with Jesus amidst it all? He knows our humanity and he knows we need time in his presence to let our hearts find refuge, to worship, to be restored. This was God's new year's challenge for me. Make time for him, make room for him. He offers like he did for Martha, an open invitation to come and find peace. Peace from the Prince of Peace. Now I don't know how Martha responded when Jesus rebuked her. Did she put down her stove pot straight away and sit and listen? Or did she keep laying the table and mull over his words? But when you read that Martha served in today's passage, I think it would be easy to think that nothing had changed, that she hadn't changed. But I don't think that that's true. Since Jesus' rebuke, I think Martha has changed actually and in fact in our account today she's no longer fretful or resentful. She's still serving, like she did before, but now she's serving in the presence of Jesus. Martha is more vulnerable than before. Somehow her gift of service has been transformed. Duty and devotion are no longer muddled. When Lazarus died, it was Martha that left the house full of guests, the the people you think she'd want to entertain, and she ran to meet Jesus. Nothing mattered to her more than seeing Jesus. I think Martha had a really teachable heart. Now she's at peace and not frantic. The rivalry with Mary is gone. In fact, she calls her sister to come to Jesus after Lazarus had died. I'm sure Martha listened that day to Jesus and allowed herself to be changed by his words and today as she serves that house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I think Martha's worship in her service contributed to the fragrance. Perhaps we need to cast all the things we're worried about again on him today. He does know them all he knows that running down the list in your head again isn't that the thing that's going to help. He invites you and me, just like Martha, to choose the better thing, to come and rest with him a while, to draw near. How about the two sisters together? It's too easy to read the account, I think, of the two sisters, and I've always thought I should be more like Mary. I kind of struggled with that because I'm not really wired like Mary. I don't think, though, that's what the passage teaches us. I think Mary got some things right, for sure. In the earlier passage, Jesus tells us that Mary chose what is better, whereas Martha was the one distracted, preoccupied with all the details of preparing a meal for lots of people. But Mary was devoted and sat at Jesus' feet, and it's Mary that pours out her precious oil. But we've just talked about some of Martha's journey too after Jesus rebuked her. I don't think she's had a a personality transplant, but she's allowed Jesus to soften her heart now she's serving in communion with him. Jesus delights in you whether you're naturally more like Mary or like Martha or maybe some combination of the two. He doesn't want to change your personality but he wants you to take time in his presence. Martha is now serving whilst listening to Jesus. She doesn't chastise Mary for her wasteful outpouring of oil or her reluctance to help serve Martha served and was attentive to Jesus, with a teachable and a transformed heart and a lighter spirit. But I think Mary has learned how to serve too. Our account here is just six days before the Passover, uh, one of the signs that, that Simon talked about, perhaps the first sign, that uh, I think Mary must have sent something in her spirit, attentive perhaps to Jesus' body language, to the clues, his words and what he was saying, because we read in Jesus' response to her that Mary had intended to save this oil for his burial. So I wonder whether she knew something of what was coming for Jesus not long after. Mary's act was a prophetic act and an act of service. With loving service, she prepared the Master for burial and the end of his calling on earth. Indeed, this anointing was the only anointing for burial that Jesus received. Perhaps that makes this prophetic act all the more poignant. Mary breaks open her treasure and in doing so she prophesies Jesus' death and his resurrection because by the time they come to anoint him for burial when he was in the tomb, he he'd already risen. He was never anointed after death but Jesus declares that Mary's act here anoints him for burial. Mary's act was to serve Jesus now as part of her worship. Somehow, I think they've taken the best of each other, combined worship and contemplation into their own acts of worship of Jesus. Martha served while she worshipped, and Mary worshipped while she served. Both surrendered to God, both at rest with their Saviour and I think with themselves. What about you? Give yourself fully to him, whatever you're like. He's so patient with us, he loves our worship. Do you remember that fantastic phrase? And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Your gifts of worship and service all add to the fragrance. Now there is a disturbing feature in our story today, it's Judas. What a contrast he was to Mary and Martha. His bitterness seems to ooze out of him. Angry, Calculating, accusing, he was a thief and he had an agenda. For Judas, Mary's gift was wasteful and embarrassing. It was a weak display of emotion and it seemed to jar with his darkened heart. Judas had spent three years with Jesus, but unlike Mary and Martha, his heart was unchanged. Surrender to Jesus, I think, would have cost him too much. So he let resentment grow. I'm sure Jesus saw his heart too and he saw every time he helped himself to a few coins and he knew that he too would be sold off by Judas and betrayed. Judas' heart was full of greed and it seemed to lead to a betrayal of the Lord himself. What a difference to Mary who gladly gave Jesus her heart. Her heart was full of gratitude and love. Jesus had come to her home. Eaten with her, spent time with her, even raised her brother from the dead. Mary cultivated a grateful heart that glorifies Jesus. And today that house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So that's where we'll land today. Mary and Martha's devotion to Jesus. I think their journey with God helps us and has helped me on our own. Because God has a journey mapped out for you. It's not Mary's journey, it's different. And it's different to Martha's and Lazarus too. Because you're not meant to take someone else's journey, you're meant to follow your own. You're meant to be uh, you, not them. But all of us could use with some Mary and Martha inspiration perhaps. um, They're examples of devotion to lay down their lives in full abandon. Wholehearted worship of Jesus is his calling for us. And just like he laid down his life, in wholehearted abandon for you.